Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, this is Aaron X, and I'm Craig Eason from Fathom World, your host for this podcast. The role of the seafarer is an important one, and as we try to understand how we cope with the impact of the COVID pandemic response that's having such a huge impact on societies around the world, we've now begun to see the challenges we've made for ourselves with our global supply chain, one where ships work to a just-in-time practice. But governments have now closed down ports, closed down airports, and this has a problem in that ships are not able to berth and discharge goods, leading to increased concerns about shortages if lockdowns continue. But it also creates a problem for ships' crews, many from countries like India, China and the Philippines, but certainly from elsewhere. So in this episode of Aranax, I'm going to look at this problem because I believe that we will have a bigger problem if it's not handled right. We have failed in the past to treat crews with respect, and charities can tell stories of abandoned seafarers stuck in rusting ships, locked in ports. But we also hear a lot of effort in building up respect for seafarers, ensuring their welfare and mental well-being. But also under this pandemic, we hear of crews unable to join ships, unable to leave their vessels after a contract ends because of national lockdowns. And if they are off the vessel, some are stuck in or near ports because there are no flights home. The shipping companies want more to be done. Charities and advocacy groups want it. Industry associations want it, and the IMO has called for more to be done to enable it, and ships' crews definitely want to see it happen. There is now huge concern around the maritime and shipping industry about the inability of ship crews to be relieved and repatriated because of the global pandemic. Now, while there have been some success stories, small though they are, to repatriate crews that have been relieved but stranded in ports, it appears that a lot more still needs to be done. I spoke to David Hammond. He's the founder and chief executive of the Human Rights at Sea Advocacy Group, a UK-based charity, because he's been reporting regularly about a number of cases he's become aware of where seafarers are stranded. Craig, thank you. Um, In short, yes, we have been engaged with uh, um, by seafarers directly, noting um, uh, whilst we're a charity, we're not a welfare organisation, but an advocacy uh, and uh, research organisation. Uh, in relation to obviously human rights at sea, um, but really for us the and I've used the word publicly deluge of contact. In addition to the contacts to other charitable organisations and the usual welfare organisations, really started for us on the 22nd of March. We first reported on the 23rd of March um, uh, increasing numbers of calls coming in. In fact, over that uh, 24 hours, we had over 70 contacts mainly from Indian seafarers. Um, and a lot of them were bemused, um, lacked information within their management chain, but there were also, to be fair, frightened seafarers. Um, a lot at that stage were saying, we are on our vessel, but we're being extended. We do not know if we're going to get home. Air hubs, air terminals, uh, logistical hubs are closing down. We're worried about our families. Um, there wasn't so much an issue about pay. It was more their families. and. Um, the, the, the quote that we sort of headlined on our news feed on the 23rd of March was, was you know, the question of what do we do? What about our families? Um, and so since then, we have been speaking to both seafarers um, as well as unions um, and uh, ship managers to see where we can assist 
um, it, with our capabilities to, to raise the issue, um, both nationally and internationally. You mentioned that you've had a number of um, contact, Ari, from, from Indian seafarers, and I myself have seen a number of incidents or reported incidents um, of seafarers being stranded in Spain, in Iran, and different countries, actually in the, in the ports. Have you seen any of them actually being able to get home yet? In short, no. Um, though we are aware uh, from anecdotal evidence and, and a lot on WhatsApp, believe it or not, which seems to be the main medium um, for, for various groups as well as Facebook, talking about, certainly on the Indian side, um, some seafarers uh, being anecdotally able to get in cars and taxis and travel um, to home. But the, the general trend of virtually everything that we're seeing and we're privy to is um, isolated seafarers, um, seafarers kept on vessels extended in their contracts um, and unable to get home. So uh, this, this issue that is being very well profiled by International Chamber Shipping, ITF, uh, uh, and ship management companies that we've got this sort of uh, hundreds of thousands of seafarers are stuck and the system slowing down if not driving to a halt is is correct from our perspective. But have you started to see countries take a more reasoned approach to this issue of having um, key workers that require international travel? Well if I pick up on the key workers please, piece of course um, we're aware that the UK government um, designated uh, through um, or recently those in transport um, key workers, which by definition would mean those um, who are critical workers in relation to, to sea lane transport. Um, we, we have been contacted and asked, you know, why this isn't being designated elsewhere around the world. Um, but of course, that is for a, a, a national um, policy. Those are national policies, a national perspective. But but if we just look at the facts, we know that we've got, and, and we spoke earlier about that overused term now of unprecedented because it's now becoming the new norm um, of, of, a, of a virus that, that kills. I mean, th there's no two ways about it. Um, the nationalisation um, of uh, perspectives uh, is also understandable, as you say, Craig. Um, but what we're also seeing is nationalism um, rising rapidly um, and people really looking after their own which I suppose is a, a human default setting um, and then when we look at the actual um, issue of, of, of coronavirus we're in this position where we're what four weeks in and people do not know what um, the, the, the consequences are so we're feeling our way uh, as we go forward and that's the same for seafarers for um, those in, in contact with us because there's conflicting advice, conflicting advice on PPE, there's conflicting advice on movement, um, but I think everybody's in agreement that firstly, we need to protect our key workers, which seafarers are, there's no doubt about that. And secondly, we need to find a way to ensure that global sea routes, uh, food, medicine and materials continue to move, because of course, if that fails, we are going to be in much more uh, of a precarious position globally than just nationalistic um, uh, positions being taken now. One of the um, aspects of this, the positives possibly that could come out of this, is that there is, a, there is increased awareness of seafarers, of the rights and the need to have seafarers to enable international trade. How do you see this 
pandemic response and the increased awareness of the role of seafarers. How do you see that impacting the issue of human rights at sea? In short, um, I see it as a, a boost to the philosophy, not, not the platform, but the philosophy of human rights at sea in terms of that founding principle that human rights apply at sea as they do on land. I mean, that is the core of everything that we do and everything that our partners who engage with us uh, focus on. So uh, the positive point, if indeed there are positives to come out of this pandemic, is that we see the focus, the correct focus on the individual seafarers and of course by de facto their dependents being much more highlighted. I suppose the analogy is if you look in the UK, the focus on the National Health Service and its critical part in stemming a pandemic, I think we can make a very good analogy in the international setting that seafarers have that same profile now and increasingly people are finally understanding that, that what was termed a real silent workforce it is now getting the profile um, it, it should have. Um, in, in terms of human rights to see, um, going forward I think when we do the lessons learned from this in years to come and the sort of debriefs uh, it will be seen that this was a turning point for seafarers rights and not just the labour rights not just the rights to, 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 to wages but the wider human rights piece um, and those lessons learned I, I think it would be a foolish industry and sector who did not then seriously integrate them into their business plans going forward. David Hammond from the Human Rights at Sea Advocacy Charity. While ports are being encouraged to allow crew exchanges, and some have said they are, there are also being urges by the IMO, the International Maritime Organization, for them to remain open to even allow global trade to continue. Many countries with lean supply chains and a lack of stockpiling on national resources rely on imports and exports for many things from food and fuel, spare parts and even medical equipment. These countries need their ports and airports open. The IMO held its latest council meeting by correspondence rather than live in the first time in its history. As well as calling for seafarers' support, it also urged countries to ensure that the smooth operations of maritime traffic and availability of shipping services for world commerce for the benefit of humanity. But while Hammond says that some seafarers are not worried about salaries, but are worried about families and loved ones at home that, are, that they are unable to support, there are seafarers who are having to pay for hotels out of their own pocket while they sit waiting, stranded in ports for a flight home. But some have also been abandoned. I recently took part in a live-streamed podcast, It's All About Shipping, organised by Gina Paniotto, who is a maritime lawyer and board member of the Worcester Cyprus. Two of the other guests were Dorothea Iano, Chief Commercial Officer at the American P&I Club, and Anna Vorgos, Director at Afentrica Marine Insurance in Cyprus and President of Worcester Cyprus. Iano pointed out during the podcast that P&I clubs are now at the front line of this problem because they've taken up certain responsibilities under the Maritime Labour Convention. I would like to comment on what was just um, discussed. Definitely the role of the seafarers and their plight is on the forefront also for P&I clubs. Um, as everybody knows, the P&I clubs also, um, you know, in recent history took on the responsibility under MLC convention to deal with um, stranded seafarers. We actually have a ship right now that has been abandoned. Um, and the usual rules are that 
um, the wages that the clubs pay, of course, they pay, they pay them on a without prejudice basis, but they pay them in order to facilitate and help the seafarers. Um, they pay them usually on condition that the, the seafarers are being repatriated. Um, they pay for up to, I think it's three or four months now, I can't recall. But um, in this case, they can't be repatriated. So they are, they are stranded, this abandoned ship, the, the, the seafarers are stranded. So, you know, we've had to take a different approach and make part payments in order to help their families that are getting no income right now. So um, these, these things are definitely on the forefront. Um, the, the, all of the clubs have been spending a lot of time within their loss prevention departments, also creating awareness for um, mental health for a long time now, but this just brings it up even to a greater extent. So um, definitely, I think that the maritime industry is um, doing what's right right now. Now, we've said that the issue of seafarers has been pushed even by the IMO, which is urging member states to take more positive action to treat seafarers as key workers, allowing them to travel more freely, or being with respect, of course, to COVID precautions. But they're also called for a more pragmatic approach towards sick or injured seafarers. This, said marine insurer Anna Vorgos during the It's All About Shipping stream, a hidden problem that needs to be addressed. Obviously, suggestions and proposals have been put on the table. It's a huge project to undertake uh, to try and, and repatriate uh, the seafarers. There is the will and there are ways and we can find the ways, but unless the governments open the borders, um, there's no way you can just sort of, uh, you know, have one aeroplane charter to take two seafarers, for instance. It, it's a very big project and I don't know how we're going to, pull it through uh, by the time the restrictions are over. Um, but irrespective, priority, I think, is given at all levels, and I, I believe Dorothea is going to confirm that, is with the crew members at the moment in various ports or at sea who may have an injury or a different illness, and they need immediate assistance. And they may not have the luxury of time to go through all the COVID um, measures, restrictions that each port has. And this is where at least we have been finding from um, you know, some of our cases where uh, we are struggling in situations where we've, we need assistance, immediate assistance, and we, you know, we have to go through that whole process of um, ensuring it's not COVID or making sure uh, you know, if it's COVID, it's something else. Um, and then the ship gets delayed. And at the end of the day, all these domino or snowfall uh, it's, it comes down to who is going to pick up the bill. Anna Vorgas from Athentrica Marine Insurance Brokers and Dorothea Eonel talking during the recent All About Shipping stream on the issues facing seafarers. But as I mentioned at the start of this podcast, there is another problem looming. If seafarers' welfare during the COVID-19 pandemic is not respected, the long-term attractiveness of the industry will come under question. We need seafarers, and in recent years, there's been awareness, even by the IMO, of an impending shortage of seafarers as global trade grows. Now, while global trade may be uncertain in the near future, it's still expected to recover and flourish in the long term. So we will need more ships, different, cleaner ships, and we will need a new generation of seafarers to be trusted to care and run them. If we're not respecting today's seafarers and not looking after them in a connected world, 
we will find the shortage increase as schools and colleges in the countries that now supply seafarers promote alternative careers. If we want seafarers tomorrow, then we need to send the right signals today. Otherwise, these stranded, abandoned, penniless seafarers that are stuck in ports will become the image of our industry. It's not just the manning agents, the ship managers and ship owners that need to do this. Many of them already are. They're aware of it. But we need national support and in some countries, simple awareness of the importance of the people who keep supply chains alive. Tune in for more Aronax next week where we turn our attention to how shipping technologies are being developed in the push to decarbonise with a focus on how fuel cells and batteries are growing in power while reducing in size to make them a part of the zero emission ship solution. And don't forget to sign up on Fathom World for our regular weekly newsletter and to subscribe to Aronax on your favourite podcast provider. Until the next time, goodbye.